thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. I want you to maybe get your Bibles and what we're going to look at. We're going to look at two opening verses uh, in Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 6, and then you might want to get a finger in Romans chapter 1, which we're going to get to those. And I, and I want to talk about the subject of Israel, but in the framework of something that, that I think all of us need to be aware of. And here's the title, Does God Keep His Word? Question mark. Does God uh, keep His Word? And let's look at that subject here. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, listen to this verse. There's two parts to it. I'll pause after the first part, then we'll go on to the second part. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 said that there is no one greater than God. How many know that to be true? There is no one greater than God. Now, there's, there's, it's important you remember that statement as it pertains to the rest of the verse. So, He made a promise. In his own name, when he said to Abraham, I, the Lord, will bless you with many descendants. Then, after Abraham had been very patient, how many know that Abraham had to be patient to receive Isaac? It was like 19 years. And uh, how many in here would say, I, I need a little bit more patience? How about a lot more patience? Well, I didn't see all the hands go up, so most of you're not living in reality or something out there. Then after Abraham had been very patient, he was given what God had promised. Now listen, when anyone wants to settle an argument, they make a vow by using the name of someone or something greater than themselves. Now let me just give you an example I think that you're familiar with. How many have heard uh, someone say or you heard, heard about it that, no, I swear on my mother's grave, you know, or something like that. Well, you know what's happening when they do that? When they're trying to convince someone of a promise or make a statement to someone and there's kind of a little doubt in the, person, the other person's mind, you can see it in their eyes. He said, no, I swear on my mother's grave. So what they're doing is saying, if you don't believe me, I, I, I'm making a vow on something greater than myself. Well, you see, there is no one greater than God. So God made a vow based on his own reputation. And that is important. That's, that's the greater name. So he made a vow based on that. Look at the second part of this. So God, when God wanted to prove for certain that his promise to his people could not be broken, he made a vow. God cannot tell lies. And so his promise and vows are two things. So both the promises and vows are two things that can never be changed. Say never. never. They can never be changed. We have run to God for safety. Now his promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. So he made this vow. There are two things, his vows and his promises. Remember that throughout this message. Cannot be broken. He is a man of his word. Does God keep his word? Now I want to go to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, this is something that I just really got a hold of this week, believe it or not. I think maybe I had kind of a, somewhat of an understanding, but it really got a hold of me this week. In Romans chapter 1, here's what the Apostle Paul said. NIV version, since what, 
may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, remember, invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Another practical example. When I walk outside, and this is true with me, at least four or five days out of the week, I'm brought to the reality. I walk outside in Colorado, whether it's winter or summer, and the minute I begin to look at things, I begin to realize God's a great God. Uh, there's something that captures me. I don't know what it is, but I, I look at that tree, as plain as that tree might be, and sometimes it just, we just pass by these trees all the time, don't realize. I thought, you know, that there's no architect that came up with the design for that tree. All, all we do is copy them now. You know, try to make something. There's no engineer that could come up with the idea how that root system works. The other day I was working in the yard, and you know how these aspen trees grow, and these roots from an aspen tree, I mean, they can travel under a driveway, under a house, end up on the other side, and these sprouts of these roots. And I was trying to tear one of those things out the other day. I had to get my sawzall and cut that thing. He did the same thing. <laughs> and, I, and I was cutting that thing, but I thought, only God could design this system. That's why you have aspen groves and things like that. And and living things that are like that. I said, only God could do something like that. So here's something visible. Here's something you could touch, you can look at. And to me, it reveals to me the, the divine power and nature of God. It, it gives me insight into His attributes that are there all the time. Now, here's the thing that captured me this week. As we look at the nation of Israel today, and we look at the Jewish people, and if all you have to do is go back a little bit of their history, and you realize that there was a people that were no longer a people. There were the Jews that were scattered throughout the world. There was a language that was lost in that scattering of those Jewish people. And yet, by the miraculous divine power of God, He brought them back to the land given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brought the Jews back from the four corners of the world, reestablished their language. So that is a visible representation of the divine power of God. So we are without excuse. So no one can stand before God and say, God, well, I, I didn't know if you were real. God will say, oh, really? Did you ever look at the tree? Did you ever look at the flowers? Did you ever look at the sky? Did you ever just for a moment pause and begin to, to realize? You see, without excuse. Well, God, I didn't know that you were concerned about Israel and the Jews. Did you ever look at the, uh, of the promises, the vows, the covenants that I made? Did you ever look at the miraculous power that it took? beyond all odds to bring them back and be what they are. Couldn't you not see my power in that? Without excuse. On Judgment Day. Does God keep His Word is our question today. So I want to give you four things today I think will be helpful. Number one, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. God keeps His Word, and I'm so glad. If he says something, that's exactly what he means. That is precisely what will come to pass when God says it. The book of Titus chapter 1, we're told, God who cannot lie. You see, God cannot lie because he is true. Just like God is 
love. God is truth. He's all truth. He's all love. Now, there's one on the other side. That's Lucifer. That's Satan himself. And that's all he does is lie. There, there's no truth in him. He's a liar. He's the father of liars. And those are the words of Jesus. And that's how he tricks us. He deceives us, discourages us, brings fear into our heart. He lies to us. He twists the truth. He whispers in our ears like he did from the very beginning with Eve and Adam. And he, he tells us something that is untrue about God. Untrue about our walk with God. Untrue about the promises of God. Untrue about his vows that he has made. Why? So that we'll turn our eyes away from him. Start believing in something else. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says he is faithful. Say faithful. That promised. God is faithful that promise. In other words, what God promises, he will faithfully fulfill. In the book of Joshua, chapter 23, these words are spoken to, to Joshua, but also to all of, the, all of Israel have made their way into the promised land. Not one thing, say one thing, one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Now think about it. Not one thing has failed. Everything that God said he's going to do. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised. Over and over and over again. Dozens and dozens of scriptures that verify this. Psalm 31 and verse 5. He is called the God of truth. He is the God of truth. So if he said something about your life, if he made a promise to you, it will come about. Now, here's a bigger question than the debate over Israel and its existence. So this, not necessarily about Israel, not necessarily about the Jews, but it's about something else, something even bigger than that. And the question of God keeping his promise is a question of divine integrity. It has everything to do with God's faithfulness. It has everything to, to do with his faithfulness to his vows and his covenant. It, it is his integrity that is at stake. And here's why, quite simply. If God has canceled, changed his promises to Israel, we're all in a lot of trouble. Is that right? We're all in a lot of trouble. Because we have a God who cannot be trusted. And if we can't trust God, to fulfill his promise to Israel, how can we trust God to fulfill his promises to us? He could as readily change his promise to us as he did to them. So the bottom line is he's not going to change it. He's not going to change it. He is a God that can be trusted. That leads us to number two, though, here. And that is Israel's very existence as a nation is tied to the promises of God. So when you look at Israel as a nation, the Jew as a people, it's all based on promises and covenants that he has made. In the book of Romans, Romans, Paul's writing the book of Romans. It's a great book to, to read. And in the first five ver chapters, and then you go on to chapter six, seven, and eight, you, you have giving about grace and about instruction on how to live our lives and turn from old way of living and by grace begin to follow him. And as if Paul, the great apostle, has something on his mind while he's writing. And, I, and as he's writing this particular letter to the Romans, 
and, and he's writing it to the church there. It's like this thing on his mind is just, he has to stop at chapter 8. He said, listen, I've got something on my mind I need to talk about. I need to make clear to you. So he takes 9, 10, and 11 as his positional paper. And it's not just Paul's positional paper. It's God's position. And he talks about Israel in 9, 10, 11 and brings some clarification. Romans chapter 9 makes a statement. And I'll summarize that chapter by saying that he, there was elected and a chosen by God was Israel, by his sovereignty. It was unconditional. He promised to bless them. So Israel and the Jew is, is a move on God's part, a sovereign move on God's part. As I made mention, God created Israel. God raised up and created the Jewish people. Israel was not Israel. There wasn't a Jew until Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's name changed to Judah, Jew. So God sovereignly chose that. It was a move on God's part. Why? Background to that is, is God, and, and we certainly can't even imagine how we can totally get into all the, the thoughts of God had in his mind, but he had a plan, and he, he had the whole world in mind, and he had millions of people that would be born in this world, mankind itself. And what he had in mind, he wanted to reach mankind. His heart was for his creation. And in spite of our, our disobedience and moving away, God was still faithful to his plan. He was still faithful to a promise that he would bring a redeemer to redeem mankind. So it, it, you have to see a little bit that God's heart was filled with carrying out this plan, and Israel and the Jew were in this plan, which eventually brought us in. Note this. The blessings that came to them by covenant made to Abraham, Genesis 12 through 15 there, was not even conditioned upon them. It wasn't conditioned upon them. And that's why I make this statement, is that when we talk about Israel, talk about the Jew, it's not that we're worshiping a nation. We're not worshiping a people. We're not putting them above other people. We're just putting them in their rightful place that we're worshiping the God of Israel, the faithful God to his promises and his vow. We're acknowledging God's power, his divine power, and the very idea that God does not lie. He keeps his word, which ought to be an encouragement to us. In other words, God determined to do it no matter what they did. He determined to do it to carry out his plan. God chose a people. God made a promise to a people. God confirmed those promises by an oath, Genesis chapter 15. So God has made promise to Israel, which he must keep. I emphasize the word must. He must keep those promises. That's why there are still Jews in the world. That's why there's still a nation against all odds, against all attempts to exterminate them and prevent Israel from becoming and remaining as a people of a nation because the enemy knows that if he can stop them to be a nation, stop them from being a Jew, somehow he believes in his with his own deception, by his own deception, that, that he could somehow misguide or misdirect the plan of God. But that's the belief. Let me give you some example. He's been trying to do this for a long time. Think about this. Go back to Moses. Now, Moses was born to a slave family. 
And they've been living in slavery in the land of Egypt. And when he was born, at the very time he was born, the Pharaoh sent out a decree because he feared the Jewish people were gaining in uh, population more than the Egyptians were. So he feared them. And he, he commanded that the midwives, when they would deliver the babies, that if they saw a male child come out, kill the baby. What was the enemy trying to do? He's trying to kill the vision. Kill the plan. Do away with the plan. Now, here's why you should note this. We were in that plan. We're here today because of the carrying out and faithfulness to God to his plan. We sit here in that freedom. Fast forward. Jesus. When Jesus was born, what happened? Herod sent out a decree. What? Kill all the male children. Kill the children. Two years old and younger. So he went out and they killed all the children. Jesus parents had to flee to Egypt as a result of it. And on and on and on, you can trace that the enemy has tried to stop this plan, to counter what God has been doing. So God chose his people and he made a promise to us. Against all odds, they remain a people. And even modern history, think about how they became a nation. Everyone was against them. They're still a nation. Every attempt, six million Jews killed during World War II. What came as a result? It was a horrible time in their history, but a result of that was a nation was reborn. Again, in fulfillment to the faithfulness of God. So the covenants have demanded the preservation of the people of God. And I use strongly the word demanded. He has caused the Jewish people to outlive all other nations that were contemporaries in the ancient times. They are a phenomenon. They are not God's ancient people. Let me say, I'm, I want to make that statement because we look back and say, well, that, God used them in the past. They're ancient people. Listen, they're not God's ancient people. They're God's present people and his future people. Israel and the Jew are God's present people and his future people to whom he must fulfill his covenants if he's going to be true to his word. So, therefore, he must maintain their existence. God must maintain their existence. And outside of the hand of God, they would not exist. So God has a plan for Israel. His character depends on it. His integrity depends on it. His trustworthiness depends on it. His faithfulness depends on them being a nation. Number three. Number three is, is that God will bless Israel and through them the world will be blessed. He will bless Israel, and he has blessed Israel. He's already done this, and let me tell you how. He's done this because it was through Israel that brought the Messiah, Jesus our Savior. So a big part of that promise was fulfilled when Jesus came, that through Abraham's seed, all the people of the world would be blessed. And the greatest blessing has come salvation, to know our God, to be saved to be back into the family of God. So that, in a great part, has already taken place. Israel has been a channel, a channel of God's blessings, a channel of God's work to the world, his voice to the world. Now listen, because they have been a blessing, because of Jesus' coming, that's part of it, but note this, God has some things yet to fulfill. And that's part in the note. He's not done yet. He has some things yet to be fulfilled. 
promise of salvation to the Jew. That has yet to be fulfilled. There's a remnant that have come to know Christ. There are more. He said that the, the nation would be saved. There's a promise of a land that he is giving them that's disputed over today in front of our eyes in our UN that stands on our property in New York. They are disputing over, and most of the nations of the world are against them having that land. Do you realize that? And that's why it's so important, imperative, that the United States stands up for not just the nation of Israel and the Jew, but for God's promise in His Word. God's promise, that went, let's give God praise for it, is a must. And we have to be a voice there. So because they've been a blessing, it's not yet completed. All the promises and vows must be fulfilled. All these promises given by God must be fulfilled to the Jewish people. And the fact that through Israel multiplied millions of Gentiles have been blessed, we sit here today because of it, does not cancel the other promises of God. That leads me to the fourth point, an important one, and is this. There are some who have concluded that because Israel rejected the Messiah, God canceled out all his promises to them. Now, the sum that have concluded this are within our own family. That's the family of God, believers in Jesus Christ. There are some believers today that for some reason believe that God is through with Israel. They rejected the Messiah, therefore he has moved on from there. You know, I, I kind of grew up with this idea in my background, and here's what I grew up with, the idea, is that Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Christian. And guess what? He wasn't a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Christian. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was born of Jewish parents, Jewish grandparents, great-grandparents, and go all the way back. He comes back, all the way back from the seed of David, from the seed of Abraham. His lineage is traced all the way back in his Jewish background. He came as a Jew. Listen, the next time your neighbor or your fellow worker begins to tell some off-color joke about the Jew, they're talking about your Jesus. They're talking about your Jesus because our Jesus was a Jew. So, somehow they believe that the vows and promises that were always established as something that God has made and He will back and fulfill were written in chalk. So they just take a big eraser and erase all those promises and all vows and let's start with a clean slate. That's what they want to do. And many teach today that God has wiped out all His covenant promises to the nation of Israel and to the Jew. And they say this, we are now spiritually being fulfilled, these promises are being spiritually fulfilled in the church. And we are the new Israel. That's what some say. We are now the Israel of God, they tell us. And as far as the nation is concerned, they are out. The promises have been canceled. And that's why there's such a dispute, and that's why there are mainline denominations and others that are making statements against the nation of Israel and saying it doesn't belong to Israel, it belongs to, and they put the whole bag, group of people in there that it could belong to. So they're dividing up the land, they're challenging over the land. They're teaching this because they don't know the Word of God. As far as the nation, God has not canceled so the question is this, is this true? 
Big question. Will be disputed until Jesus comes back, I'm sure. Paul opens Romans chapter 11. I told you 9, 10, and 11. Chapter 11, he opens. You could read this later on yourself or turn to it now while you're here. He opens up Romans chapter 11 with this question. Has God cast away his people? Question mark. He, he asked that question. So there must have been something stirring. Even in Paul's time, some question, okay, now that our Messiah has come, Israel's out of the picture. So Paul, I think what was on his mind when he paused and started writing 9, 10, and 11, that part of the letter, he wanted to address it because there was such a burden on his heart. It goes on to say, he said, listen, I'm a Jew myself. If God has cast off Jews, then where do I belong? It was a big question. So the whole matter revolves around the question, this, which we started with, does God keep his word? We'll answer that question. Paul answers the question immediately right after, has God cast away his people? He says this, God forbid. Say it with me, God forbid. Now, that is the strongest negative word to be used here in the Greek, and it means no, 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 no. Not just a no, but say it with me, no, 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 no. God has not canceled his promises. God has not cast away his people. Paul addresses it. It cannot be so. It could never become that, not in any way. Paul is saying, however you want to put it, that's how strong it is. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Look at this. For his what? Great namesake. It's based on his name is at stake, his integrity, his character, his faithfulness to his word is at stake. He cannot cancel his promises because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Why would God cancel out that which pleased him, that which he created himself with a plan and with a purpose? Psalm 94 and verse 14, the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, which is Israel. Psalm 89, and before I read verses 33, let me back up to a few verses here, and then we'll read them. In Psalm 30 to 32, Psalm 89, verse 30, it says this about Israel. They have forsaken me. It says that they have broken his laws. They have not kept his commandments. And it also says, I will punish them with a rod. How many know the Jewish people have been punished? They have been punished for their mistakes. Listen, they have received great punishment. How many, you saw Fiddler on the Roof. Do you, do you remember the words where he says, God, I know you've chosen us, but maybe you could choose someone else. It's like, you know, we've taken enough. They have been punished for their mistakes. But then, nevertheless, say nevertheless. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Emphasis again on faithfulness. My covenant I will not break, nor alter, not a, you know, I will not be dotted or a T not crossed. The word that has gone out of my lips, once I have sworn my, listen, on my holiness by none greater than himself. He based it on his own holiness. I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. Note this. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness 
in the sky. I love the way God uses these strings, these strong analogies to make his point. And this is strong. He said, listen, if you wake up tomorrow morning and, and the sun isn't there, by the way, you'd probably be dead. But if the sun's not there, or if the moon doesn't come up, you see what he, he's trying to give us this picture so that we, even we as human beings can understand. It's if when those things go from the scene, when they're no longer, then I'll do away with my promises. And that means he's not going to do it. He's just not going to do it. He's going to be faithful. So does God keep his word? Absolutely. He absolutely keeps his word. He's faithful to his word. His integrity is on the line when we talk about it. He is going to keep his word to Israel. His character is at stake. His integrity is at stake. All of it. He is a God who cannot lie. So there is no way he cannot fulfill his word. There's just no way he cannot do it. God is a God who keeps covenant and promises. So where does that leave us now? Here we are, 2016, we're Christians, we're followers of Christ, we, we have longings in our heart. Now, let, by the way, let me, can I throw my two cents in on my last point? This is my two cents. Here's why I think. Here's why I think there's some within our own family that are teaching that these things that I think are contrary to the Word of God. Teaching that God is done with Israel, and now all the promises are for us, spiritually speaking. Here's my two cents. I believe that we're a very selfish people. I believe there's prevailing attitude of self-centeredness, and that everything is for me. It's me, me, me. It's kind of like, what's in it for me? It's kind of, you, you know what I'm talking about. What's in it? And we as Christians, if we're not careful, we come into this walk with Christ, and, and we come to church even, I wonder what I'm going to get out of it today. You know, when maturity sets in, we come, what am I going to give to it today? How can I be a part of blessing someone today? How can I be a part of touching someone's heart today? How can I reach out to someone today? Instead of thinking, what am I going to get out of it? Even carrying all the weights that we carry ourselves, when is maturity going to kick in and say, hey, listen, there are people that are hurting a lot worse than me. There are a lot of discouraged people in our church, and they need a smile, a handshake, an encouragement, a hug. They need someone to serve them. That was one of the last things that Jesus did. He served. He said, he, he even used the words, he said he came to serve. Isn't that me? Jesus, our Lord and Savior who died for us, the one we serve and follow, was a servant. If we want to serve, follow him the way he did it, we serve. That's a mature way of approaching it. Now, I think that's an attitude that takes us beyond ourselves, and here's where it puts us. God, what's on your heart? You know, I, I, I want to be lined up with what's on your heart. And it's obvious, God, you're doing something for Israel with the Jewish people. What can I do to come alongside of you and help, help you cooperate with your plan that you want to fulfill? And that's what we've been trying to do. Christians United for Israel is one group that is trying to do this, and you can be part of that. Well, let me take you back to other times. How about the Daniels of this world? Daniel was a young teenager. Here, all of a sudden, the Babylonians come in. They capture them. They haul away Daniel and his friends. They take them to a foreign land. Can you imagine what they felt at that moment when they were taken from their home? But he never gave up his convictions. He never gave up his faith in God. 
He never gave up trusting in God. So what did he do? He put his heart and fixed it on God's plan and God's purposes. He lived the way he should have lived. And guess what? God raised him up to speak into the leadership in a pagan world. And he had influence on that leadership. And where did he get it from? God's Word. He read God's promises and word, and he stood on those and said, God, you said you're going to do this. Therefore, I'm going to hang in there until you do it. How about the Nehemiahs of this world? Nehemiah, who again is captive, but he's serving in the king's house. And as he's serving the king, he realizes he begins to pray and look for opportunity to be used. And God gives him opportunity, which gets, gives him permission to go back and actually rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How about the Esthers of this world? The Esthers of this world, when there's a time, one another who tried to annihilate the Jews and the plan and the vision that God had on his heart was raised up, and she actually was victorious because there she was, Esther, for such a time as this. Could it be that we're living in a time for such a time as this? That God wants to use us and raise us up, maybe as individuals, maybe collectively raise us up to be a voice. And God has blessed us and given us an opportunity to do that. Even today, we have spoken into the hearts of the Jews, into the plan of God that he has for the nation of Israel. So pray. Ask God what we can do. How can we individually, how can we corporately, how can we as a church keep our strength, keep our focus on God and His plan, at the same time grow in our faith, have influence, lead people to the Lord, share our story of grace and love. It's being open-minded. I want you to stand with me, if you will. I want to read a last text. It will come up on the screen here. Paul, when he finishes all of chapter 9, 10, and 11, and after he has great revelation to share with us during that, he comes to the end of that chapter, and he's still kind of, he says, it's still mind-boggling. I use my terms. And here's what he said. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? You see, we, we don't all know what's in the mind of God. Sometimes we don't have a full understanding, but we have enough understanding to follow. Been his counselor. Who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.